And thank you to all of the people of the Cadillac Church. I feel at home when I'm here at the Cadillac Church. I've only been to church here a few times since we moved to Grayling uh, about a year and a half ago. But every time I come, I always, uh, I always, always feel like it's home to be here. And maybe if there was somewhere I was a little closer to Grayling, I could make it home. But uh, yeah, but uh, I remember years ago when I I taught school for forty Seventh Day Adventist education for forty six years, starting from Maine to Indiana, and I've been in Michigan since nineteen eighty six. I spent uh, eighteen years in the uh, church school in Flint. I can remember getting a telephone call after I'd been there a few years. And um, it was probably Dwayne Roush on the other end of the phone. And he said, uh, he said, boy, he said, I'd sure like, there's an opening in the Cadillac school. He said, I'd sure like to have you go and interview. He said, but I know you're going through some teacher changes there in Flint. So it's probably not the best time. And that was as close as I got to teaching in Northview. But I remember, I don't know that I'd ever driven through Cadillac before. But that summer, we were at Camp Asable, and we had to go to Berrien Springs for a meeting and drove through Cadillac here, and I looked around at the countryside, and I said, man, this is a beautiful area of the state of Michigan. I was a good friend of a, of a guy that was a good friend of all of yours. His name was Bob Quillen. Bob Quillen the very first church school he taught at was my home church school back in Maine. Now, I didn't go to that school. I was in public school at the time. In fact, I think I was probably in high school when Bob Quillen came to the little red schoolhouse in, uh, in Woodstock, Maine. And he became a good friend of mine. He later on moved here to Michigan, spent some time here at Cadillac and up at the UP and became a pastor. I was with him a few days before, before he died. He was at Henry Ford Hospital down there in Detroit, and we lived about 15 minutes from there. My last school was Metropolitan Junior Academy. And uh, he was only a shadow of the, of the man on the outside that I remembered, but his mind was still sharp when I was there. I probably wouldn't have come to Michigan as quickly as I did if it wasn't for Bob Quillen. He had taken the the pastorate in Alma. My brother-in-law was a food service director at Great Lakes Adventist Academy. We were living in Indiana at the time. We came up to visit them in Cedar Lake, and Bob Quillen and his wife had just moved to Alma. We went to visit them. And in the course of conversation, I said, I could see myself teaching in Michigan sometime. Then I went back to my elementary classroom in Cicero, Indiana, right down the street from Indiana Academy. A month or so later, I got a telephone call from the superintendent here in Michigan. He said, one of, my pastor, one of the pastors here in Michigan was saying, you might be interested in coming to Michigan. And uh, that's how it happened, because Bob Quillen shared with him that conversation in his home down there in Alma. So I miss Bob Quillen. And uh, I get to work with, with Connor. I get to work with Bethany, two of your fine young people from, from the Cadillac Church. Just a good, solid church here in Cadillac. And uh, 
appreciate being here this morning. I want to share with you two, two uh, portions of Scripture that I think every pastor, even though I'm not a pastor, it says that in the bulletin, but I'm not, that every pastor should at least read before their congregation or at least read to themselves. And the first one I want you to turn with me to is 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I think every Sabbath morning before a pastor preaches that the two portions of Scripture I want to share with you, they should at least read on their own. And I know some pastors that do. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Words of Paul. I'm going to reword them just a little bit here and there, but I don't think Paul would mind when it says, And I, brethren... When I come to you today, I come not with excellency of speech, and I definitely don't come to you with wisdom, even though I may be known as Father Time. But I do hope today, I pray today, that I'll come declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I I am determined not to know anything this morning among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I am with you today in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And I don't appreciate these podiums that are clear and you can see my knees. But anyway, that, that works fine for Dwight Nelson, but not for everybody. So I'm with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling today. And verse 4, in my speech and my preaching will not be with enticing words of man's wisdom. But I do pray that it will come, that these words will come in demonstration of the spirit and power of God. That, your faith when you leave here today will not stand in the wisdom of any man, but will stand in the power of God. The other portion of Scripture is found in the Old Testament. I think it's appropriate, one from the New, one from the Old. Jeremiah, chapter 1. Not far from where our Scripture reading was, but Jeremiah 1. I think every pastor ought to read these words over before he stands before our congregation. Jeremiah 1, verses 4 through 9. For Jeremiah said, And then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee to be a prophet unto the nations. And then said I, Oh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child. But thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee, to deliver thee, saith the Lord. And then the Lord put forth his hand, and he touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being here this morning. We feel your presence presence of your Holy Spirit. Lord, this is your house. We've come to be with you. Lord, be with us today, and may the things that we talk about, may they touch each person in some special way, and only your Holy Spirit can do that, so that each person leaves with perhaps a little better view of who you are and what you can do for each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. It had to be at least 20 years ago, but it's as clear as if it had happened to me last night. 
I was laying in my bed there in Flint, Michigan, waiting for my lovely wife to come and join me as soon as she finished up things for the day. You know, a man works from sun to sun, but a woman's work is what? Never done. So I'm laying there in bed, and I had this strange sensation pass over me that I had never felt before. It felt like someone or something was sitting while I was laying in my bed, sitting in the middle of my chest. Very heavy weight in the middle of my chest. And I don't know about you, but when something like unusual like that, I think, well, it must be just the way I'm laying in bed, and so I turned this way, and I turned that way, and, uh, but the pressure, that pressure still stayed right there. And I knew it wasn't something usual. It was something unusual, at least for me, because I'd never felt that before. My wife came into the bedroom, and I said, I'm not, I'm not feeling just right. So she begins that questioning. Men, you know what that's like, right? Questioning. And I said, it feels like something or somebody is sitting right in the middle of my chest. And no matter which way I turn, it's still there. Well, my wife came up, she grew up in a medical family. Her dad was, was a physician. And uh, even though we're living in Flint, Michigan, and he's in a little town called South Royalton, Vermont, she gets on the phone and she says, Dad, she said, Craig's laying in bed and he's got this feeling like of pressure on his chest and doesn't seem to be letting up. Well, he told her, he said, go to the kitchen and get him a glass of milk, bring it back in, have him drink it, and uh, see if in a few minutes that doesn't take care of the problem. So she did, and I did, and after a few minutes, no, I still feel that pain. Not pain, but pressure right in the middle of my chest. So she calls her dad again and said, well, it doesn't seem to be, doesn't seem to be relieving his, this pressure. And he said, well, you better take him to the emergency room. And so in a few minutes, we found ourselves at McLaren Hospital there in Flint, in the emergency room. One of our church members was on duty that night, and it didn't take her long to snap people and things around. And I found myself in, a, in one of the rooms, one of the little examining rooms there in the emergency area. And uh, they slipped this little pill underneath my tongue. I found out later on what it was. And it wasn't long before that pressure just kind of eased right up. And I thought, well, I'm okay. I, they're going to let me go home. I can finish my night's rest. Oh, no. No, I wasn't, I wasn't allowed to go home. They took me to a place that would be my home for the next two or three days up on the third floor there at McLaren Hospital and ran me all, through all sorts of tests and uh, come in and ask me all sorts of questions like, uh, do you smoke? No. Do you drink alcohol? No. Uh, do you exercise on a regular basis? And I said, yeah, I, drive, I ride my bicycle two and a half miles every morning from home to school and two and a half miles. And I answer all the questions. And then several of them, would, several of them said, then what are you doing in here? And I said, well, that's, that, you're supposed to give me the answer to that question, why I'm here. Well, of course, they're suspecting that something is wrong with my heart. And they hooked me up. They had already hooked me up to a device that went out to the nurse's station, and the nurses could see my every heart beat, 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 
be all through the night, all through the day. Well, after a few days of all these tests, they finally had made their determination. And they came in and they said, Mr. Morgan, we can't find anything wrong with you. We can't find anything wrong with your heart. And they let me go home and praise the Lord up until February 29, which we're not going to see another one for four more years. Up to, I have never had, that, never had that feeling again. The doctor says, we find you have no heart trouble. We, you have no heart problem. I stand before you this morning, though, with a confession. I have heart trouble. I have a heart problem. And I'm going to be so blunt to say before my friends here in the Cadillac Church that you have heart trouble. You have a heart problem, too. Ah, I thought this man was going to give us hope as we left here today. He read that in the scripture. Well, I hope before I'm done, I do. Because I do have heart trouble. You do, too. Let's go back to our scripture reading, Jeremiah 17, verse 9. And then I want to add a little bit something to it. So Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse number 9, our scripture reading. The heart, that means your heart and mine. The heart is what? It's deceitful. That, does that sound like a good thing? No. The heart is deceitful above what? Above all things. You think of the most deceitful things that there are in the world today? And your heart is more deceitful than that. The heart is deceitful above all things. And, 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 and to add to that, our heart is desperately what? Desperately wicked. Whoa, did you even know that? Who can know that? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know that? Read verse 10 now. I, the Lord... I search the heart. I know your heart better than you do. And he does, doesn't he? He does, doesn't he? He knew us before we were formed in our mother's womb. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. The Lord knows how deceitful our hearts are, how desperately wicked our hearts are. Who knows it? The Lord knows it. But does he want us to stay in that situation? No. Now, I see some, I see some younger ones here today. Some came up for... Are there, any babe, are there any babies here today? No babies. This week, a good friend of ours, she and her husband had their first little baby. Put the pictures on Facebook. New, new, brand new little baby. That mom and dad, they have, they've got to be on cloud nine, and grandma and grandpa have to be on cloud 10, 11, or 12, speaking as a grandpa. I'm a grandpa. Well, my grandkids are getting older, but my oldest grandson, he's married. He's been married almost two years now. So you know what I'm looking for. I'm looking for another little baby to hold, a great-grandson or a great-granddaughter. But when I hold that little baby... You've all held babies. You've held your own babies. That little baby, because of, because of the world we live in, that baby is born with heart trouble. 
What a terrible thing. Cute little baby brought into this world and it's got heart trouble. That's just not fair, is it? But the devil is not fair. The devil is not fair. Babies born with heart trouble. The cause is sin. Sin in the world today. David recognized this condition. David recognized his condition. Turn with me to Psalms 51. David sang a lot of songs. They weren't all songs of gladness and joy. They were sometimes songs that came straight from his heart, and his heart also was desperately wicked. He realized it, Psalms 51, just after he had committed that terrible sin with Bathsheba, Psalms 51, I want us to look at verses... 1 to 17. Here's the song that David sang. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. How much does God love you? We don't even understand how much he loves us. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For, Lord, I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin, it is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, Lord, I was shapen in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. That's describing himself as a little baby. Verse 6, Behold, thou desires truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 8, Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, Lord, and blot out all mine iniquities. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltlessness, O God. Thou God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desires not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. David recognized that in verse 10, he needed a new heart. Create in me, he pleaded. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Each one of us should plead with God to do the same thing. 
Create in me, Lord, a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. It sounds like we need a heart transplant. I can remember when the first heart transplants took place. The world all watched and listened to see what would happen. But we all need a heart transplant. Now, a heart transplant requires surgery. Turn with me to Ezekiel, chapter 36. And let's look at verses 26 and 27. Yes, if we're going to have that clean heart put within us, it's going to require the divine physician to perform a surgery. Ezekiel 36 Verses 26 and 27 says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. That sounds like exactly what we need. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And, verse 27, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments, and you'll do them. Boy, that sounds like just what we need. A new heart, a new spirit. David recognized that. Also, let's go over to Hebrews to see how that heart transplant is going to be performed. Because the doctor says, yes, we need it. The divine physician says we need that. We recognize we need that, but how does he do it? Go to Hebrews and chapter number 4. And let's look at verses 12 to 16 to see how exactly that takes place. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 to 16. How is he going to perform this surgery? We get a pretty good idea as we look at the first five words. He's going to use the word of God. For the word of God, what about that is enables God to perform this surgery? He says, for the word of God is quick and is powerful, and it is sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked. He is going to open us up wide. All things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great physician, a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. Who is it? Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. Hold fast our faith in him. You better have faith in your physician, right? If he's going to perform a surgery like that. Verse 15, for we have not a high priest, we have not a physician, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, 
but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He never needed the surgery himself, but he's done enough surgeries so that we can have faith in what he does. So, verse 16, because of that, let us therefore come how? Boldly into the operating room. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain that mercy that David was pleading for, that he was singing about, and find grace to help in time of need. And I don't know of any, any greater time of need than to realize that we have need of this heart transplant because we are born with heart trouble. Now, before you go into a surgery, I hope you take time to ask your physician a question or two. A few months ago, I was facing a cataract surgery. I asked my doctor a lot of questions. I was born with sight in only one eye, my left eye. I've hardly been able to see out of my right eye my entire life. But that's no big deal for me because if that's the only thing you know, that's what? That's normal. But the eye that he was going to operate on was my, what I refer to as my good eye. And if something should happen to that in the surgery, then I would basically be blind. So I asked him a lot of questions. And one question I asked is, how successful will this surgery be? What's the chance that when we finish this surgery that, uh, that I won't have any eyesight in my good eye? He says, about one in 400. I wish he had said one in 10,000. He said, one in 400. But I decided I had faith in my physician, and we went forward, and the operation was successful. So how successful is this surgery if we put ourselves in the hands of Jesus and we allow him to give us that new, clean heart? We find out because David sings again in Psalms 112. So go with me to Psalms 112. David had the surgery. How successful was it for David? How successful will it be for you and me? Psalms 112, and let's look at verses 7 and 8, and I think we're going to be happy with what we read, because David was happy with what happened to him. Psalms 112, verse 7 says, He shall not be afraid. In other words, you don't need to be afraid of this surgery. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. You don't have to be afraid that something bad's going to happen because his heart is what? His heart is fixed. It's all fixed. Trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not need to be afraid anymore. Wow, that sounds like pretty good news to come from a doctor. You don't need to be afraid about this surgery. It's going to come out. Everything's going to be all right. Just trust in me. David's son Solomon, over in the book of Proverbs, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. The rehab for this surgery is trusting in the Lord. Hebrews 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all 
thine heart. All of that new heart. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. Because in all thy ways, if you acknowledge him, he's going to do what? He's going to direct your path. Knowing which way to go. Knowing that the surgery has been complete. Knowing that the rehab is simply each and every morning saying, Lord, I want to be your man today. I want to be your woman today. I want to be your boy today. I want to be your girl today. I'm giving my life to you. I'm putting myself, Lord, in your hands as a resource. Aren't we taught from a very early age, don't waste natural resources? You all remember that. When you put yourself as a resource in God's hand at the beginning of the day, as a resource, will God waste you? No. He's not going to say, thank you, but I don't really need you today. Can you ever imagine those words coming out of God's mouth? No. You put yourself in God's hands, whether you're 7, 17, 77, or 97. Put yourself in God's hands every morning, and he's going to use you. Now, you may get to the end of the day, and you look back and say, I don't see a single way that God used me today. Did God use you that day? Yes, he did. You may not know until you get to the books of heaven and you open it to February 29, 2020, which only comes around every four years, you can see, oh, yeah, there's where I gave myself to the Lord in the morning as a resource, and I never, I never realized it, but, oh, that's how he used me that day. He did not waste me. I think that's a wonderful thing, that God takes a sinful human being like me, and he uses me to do a work for him. That just causes me to be baffled beyond belief. Because you know who could do a better job than me? The stones. The Bible says if we don't take time to tell others about Jesus and what he's done for our hearts and our lives, he'll let the stones cry out. Our heart. God has a plan for all of our lives, no matter how old or young we are. And our heart should find peace. Let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29. And let's look at verses 11, 12, 13, and 14. God knows us. God loves us. God has a plan for us. He has a plan to take that stony heart and make it into a heart that reflects his. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know your thoughts. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, the Lord says. I have only thoughts of peace. I do not have a single evil thought toward you. I want to give you an expected end. I have prepared for you a place that is beyond your imagination. And then shall ye call upon me, he says, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken to you. I will listen to what you ask. And verse 13 says, and ye shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. 
It's not that God's not hard to find, but we want to search for him to know what he wants us to do each and every day. Place yourselves in his hands. Accept that new heart. God, and then ask God, show me what you'd have me to do, and ye shall seek me and find me, but I want all of your heart. When you do that, I want you to search for me with all, not just part of your heart, I want you to search for me with all your heart. And if you do, in verse 14, if you do search for God with all your heart, he says, and I will be what? I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity. I want to share with you in closing today a story. I already told you I have a grandson. He wasn't always 25 years old like he is now. He was once just a little guy. And uh, my son and my daughter-in-law did a terrible thing when that boy was about four or five years old. They took him from Michigan and took him all the way. Actually, they took him from Indiana, which was far enough away from Flint, Michigan. But they took him all the way to Atlanta, Georgia. Can you believe that? Your kids will do that to you if you don't watch out. Take those grandkids far, far away. But you know, uh, we have airplanes and uh, automobiles, and those help us to, to stay connected with those grandkids. And every opportunity we had, we would travel from, from Michigan down to Georgia to spend time with our grandson and before long, a new granddaughter. And when we would go there, we would have wonderful times together. They always come to an end much too quickly. For those of you that are grandparents, you know that. But I like to walk. I like to walk. Uh, I, I try to walk every day at Camp Asable. I try to walk throughout the year. And while I was there, while my grandson was napping, I, it was a good time for me to take a walk. So I took a walk and was walking some of the the back roads there in Jonesboro, Georgia, just south of Atlanta. And on the way back from my walk, the Holy Spirit directed me to, to look off to the, side, to the side of the road, a little bit further off the road from where I was walking, and I saw there laying there the remains of a silver, one of those silver-colored, silver birthday balloons, which some youngster had received, I'm sure, and was delighted with, but probably let it go, and there it went. Well, what goes up eventually must come down, and it came down there next to that road, not far from my son and daughter-in-law and my grandson's apartment. So the Holy Spirit says, go over and, go over and pick up that balloon, deflated. And I thought, what, what do I want anything to do with that deflated balloon? It wasn't the balloon that the Holy Spirit wanted me to notice, but was, what was on the end of the ribbon that came off that was a little red plastic heart. And the Holy Spirit said, just, just take that heart off the end of that balloon. So I did, and I tucked it in my pocket. So now that little heart's in my pocket. And I walk a little bit further and get ready to go over this little bridge Actually, it was a pretty good-sized bridge because it went over Interstate 75. I used to tell my son, even when he lived in Jonesboro, Georgia, and I lived in Flint, Michigan, we lived on the same road. because Interstate 75 passed us both. And the Holy Spirit said, take that heart out of your pocket, 
And I want you to take that heart and I want you to slide it into one of the four corrugated folds of the, of, the, of the barriers that went over the top of that bridge so nobody went off the side. So I did. I tucked it in the, in the corrugated fold and went on my way, thinking the next time I come back, I'll take a walk and I'll walk this way to see if that heart is still tucked away in there. So we went back to Michigan and time goes on and and praise the Lord, another opportunity to go back to see my son, daughter-in-law, grandson, and new granddaughter. And somewhere along the way, it was time for me to take a walk. Now I had a walk with a purpose, because part of the purpose was to see if that valuable, quote, quote, valuable, in my mind anyway, plastic heart was where I'd left it. And I walked to the spot, reached in, and pulled out, there it was, that little red plastic heart. And it brought a bit of joy to my heart that it was still there, and I tucked it back inside. Well, several more visits back to, back to Atlanta, never enough, but a few more visits, a few more walks, a few more opportunities to go back and find the heart. And there it was every time. I'd just tuck it back in. And then another trip back, walk time, looked for the heart, and I reached in, and I reached in a little further, and the heart was not there. That almost broke my heart. Now, that is just a, what do you suppose that little red heart costs? I don't know, maybe a few pennies to manufacture, maybe a little bit more for the person that bought the balloon, but they weren't buying the heart, they were buying the balloon, and my heart just kind of sank a little bit. And I began to realize that the Holy Spirit was teaching me a lesson. And a lesson I want to share with you today is this. Someday, well, years ago, Jesus lived on this earth, didn't he? And Jesus gave each one of us, if we were willing to accept it, his heart, didn't he? He gave you his heart. He hid his heart as it was in each one of us. Now, Jesus has been gone for quite a while. But lift up the trumpet and loud let it ring. Jesus is what? He's coming back. And when he comes back, guess what he's going to look for? He's going to look for that heart that he hid in each one of us. Now, when he comes back, if he finds his heart in us, How's he going to feel? Joy beyond expression. And that will be the case with some. But he gave his heart to everyone. When he died on the cross, he gave his life, he gave his heart to everyone. There'll be some that when he comes back, he won't find that heart that he left and hid. He won't find it in some people's lives. And how will he feel then? As disappointed as I was over not finding that little red plastic heart, the grief that will come to the heart of Jesus when he doesn't find his heart will be beyond our understanding. I don't know about you, but I don't want, I've disappointed Jesus enough in my life. I don't want to disappoint him by not having him, for him not to be able to find his heart inside of me. And I hope you feel that way as well. We know that one of the signs of the last days 
men's failing, men and women's hearts failing them for fear. But to close today, let's go to John 14. Words that we have been hearing ever since we were old enough to hear words from God's word. And we know it's God's word and getting into God's word that performs that surgery of giving us a clean heart, a new heart, the heart that represents the heart that Jesus left within each one of us. God doesn't want any of us to suffer with heart trouble. He's given us the opportunity to have that surgery performed by the divine physician. So, John 14, verses 1, 2, 3, and then I'm going to add one more verse to the end. But, words of Jesus, in my Bible they're in red. What does that mean? It means they ought to be read often. So let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Jesus says you need to believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions, many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you a place for you, and you can put your name right there. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I'm going to be looking for my heart, and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Then skip over with me to verse 27. Still words of Jesus in my Bible in red, which means they need to be read often, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Oh, not as the world giveth, because there's not much peace in the world. Not as the world giveth give I unto you. So ladies and gentlemen of of the Cadillac Church this morning, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Wow, what a God we serve. A God that knows us better than we know ourselves, knows our heart, knows that our heart is deceitfully wicked, but says, I will give you a new heart, a clean heart. And when I get back, I want to find that heart beating for me here on the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful God you are. Lord, we sometimes go our separate ways. We listen to our hearts, our deceitful hearts and we get led astray. But Lord, you have the way of sending the Holy Spirit to, pick, to prick our hearts, to help us see that we're on, the wrong, we're on the wrong road. And then you sit us down, you talk with us from your word. That's how we know our hearts are deceitful. That's also how the heart surgery is performed with your word. May we be finding ourselves in your word. And then Lord, then we get that new heart. Surgery is perfect. You're coming back. You want to see your work in us. Thank you, Lord, for this Cadillac church. Thank you for the the spirit that works in their hearts. And Lord, continue to guide us on this Sabbath day and each and every day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn today is hymn number 27- 